0: Christian warfare. I think here in America we have a unique perspective on what Christian warfare is all about. Sadly, it's not all that biblical. So let's turn to the Bible and see what Christian warfare really is all about. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose and online at reformedheritage.org, welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, who will return us to 1 Timothy 1, verses 18 through 20. It's there the Apostle Paul reminds Timothy of the calling on his life and how to hold on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and have suffered shipwreck with regards to the faith. What does it mean to hold on to the faith, and what kind of warfare is going on here? Those are questions we're answering today and tomorrow here on Abounding Grace. Join us. Here's Pastor Gary with today's message.
1: Today, we're going to talk about Christian warfare. Now, in most Reformed churches, when you mention the phrase Christian warfare, there's usually one thing that comes up. And that is the warfare that a Christian experiences in his heart between the Holy Spirit and the new life he has in Christ and the remnants of that old fallen nature that still remains in him. And that is part of it. And we do have a warfare in our chest that the unbeliever does not have. The flesh that is a fallen nature does war against the Holy Spirit And this war is an irreconcilable war in which there is victory only in the Lord Jesus Christ. We fight it to the very end, but that is not all there is to Christian warfare. And we're not going to talk about that aspect today. We're going to talk about another aspect of this Christian warfare. Also, In non-reformed churches, when you bring up the words Christian warfare, the first thing that is thought of is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare with demonic, satanic forces in your life. You know, if you want to make a lot of money today, just write a book of about 150 pages. A book on spiritual warfare and make up a bunch of silliness and superstition and downright heresy about how you can rebuke the devil, control the devil, and how you can face demonic forces and take control of your life, etc. And you'll have a best seller. Most of the books out there on spiritual warfare are nothing more than the silly imaginations of someone. They are more superstition and are downright heretical. Now, when it comes to Satan, there are two basic false doctrines about him from one extreme to another. One is our neglect of him or a disbelief. I mean, we're modern Americans after all, and we live in a high-tech society, We don't believe what they believed in the Middle Ages about witches and Satan and demons. One man has even said, Anyone who has turned on a light switch knows there can't be any such thing as Satan. That is just totally foreign to our modern technological highly educated age. Everything can be explained scientifically. Satan is just one of those lingering myths from the past. So that's just one side. Another side concerning the false doctrine of Satan is the overemphasis on Satan. If you read some books by Christians, you'd think that Satan is more powerful than God, or at least as powerful as God. And you would think that God is up in heaven... Wringing his hands, wondering what Satan is going to do next and how in the world he can figure out some way to stop him. Listen, not only is Satan not greater than God, not only is he not equal in any way to God, but Satan is the good shepherd's sheepdog that he uses to keep his sheep in line on a a leash. And the good shepherd holds that leash tightly in his hands. In fact, the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, he destroyed Satan as far as him being an insurmountable foe to God's kingdom and its advance. He said, talking about lifting up, being lifted up on the cross, now is the God of this world cast out. He is no longer a threat to the advance of my kingdom. Now, why did God call Satan the God of this world? Is he, in fact, the God of this world? Well, not if you mean he is equal to God, but if you mean he is the God that this world worships, the stupid, weak God that this world worships, then yes. He is the God of this world. But he is a God with his head bashed in because 2,000 years ago, Christ crushed Satan's head on the cross, and he is no threat any longer to the Lord Jesus Christ. But you have Christians that write these books, and they talk about the power of Satan, and they tremble at the power of Satan more than they tremble at the power of God. Both extremes, naturalism and hyperspiritualism, are wrong and misleading when it comes to understand our Christian warfare. Now, we're going to look at these passages that we read today to see the one side of Christian warfare that is misunderstood or simply left out. We do have an inner war with sin that remains in us as Christians. But that is not what these passages are concerned with, and that is not what we'll be talking about today. In 2 Corinthians, that was read earlier, notice what Paul says. He says we, and that is, of course, the church, are involved in a war. And by the way, because we're involved in a war, that's why throughout hundreds of years of church history, the church on earth is usually called the church Militant. Because she is always having to fight. And you find that throughout scripture. In in Israel in the Old Testament. Was constantly waging war with pagan Canaanites. And when she wasn't waging war with the pagan Canaanites. She was compromising with them. And waging war against God. And then in the New Testament, you see all kinds of references to this Christian warfare. You see Paul talk about Christians as soldiers. You see John talking about the church as an army camp. You see Paul in several places where he talks about a war that Christians are constantly fighting. And I've only referred to a few of these. So let me tell you about this war. Back in First Timothy, he talks about warring the good war. And the word for war there and fighting doesn't mean standing 800 yards away with a powerful sniper rifle where no one can see you and no one can hurt you while you knock people off. The word war in Greek doesn't mean to be way up in a jet Bombing ships where no enemy fire can touch you. The word war in Greek means hand-to-hand combat. This is the kind of war fought in the movie Braveheart about the life of the Scott freedom fighter William Wallace. The Scots and the English ran toward one another in a battle with spears and axes and double-edged swords cutting off limbs and hands and killing and maiming one another and everyone being covered in blood. And it was so realistic in that movie and horrible to imagine such a warfare. It wasn't pleasant to say the least. That is Christian warfare. It is not physical but it is not some nice, gentle experience. It is hand-to-hand, face-to-face combat on a battlefield where people are trying to destroy you on every side and you're trying to end their efforts on every side. So when you think about Christian warfare, don't think about something that's nice and disinfected think of hand to hand wrestling on a muddy battlefield fighting for your life fighting to overturn the armies of the tyrants so paul says here in second corinthians chapter 10 we're in a war in this life while we walk in the flesh in this everyday world this is where the war is it's not some allegorical thing beloved Right this very day and the rest of the week, every moment of every day, as we walk through this life as human beings, we are involved in a continuous war, a nasty war. But the war is not according to the flesh. Now, do you understand that? He says in verse 3 of chapter 10, for though we walk in the flesh day by day in our human flesh, We don't war against, we we don't war according to human flesh. In other words, we don't draw our strategies, we don't draw our strength, we don't draw our perseverance from our frail human bodies, or we would be defeated in no time. He says, we are destroying. Speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. He says, we don't carry on this war, although it is taking place right now in this human life, using human methods. We don't use human methods that originate with man or human strength that originates with man we use divinely empowered weapons of warfare that are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. These fortresses can't stand up against the divine power of these weapons. And we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. He says, this war we are fighting is not in the realm of airplanes and ships and bombs and machine guns. This war, this bloody face-to-face combat is taking place in the realm of ideas. Because the biggest enemy to the church is not a physical threat per se. It is an ideological threat. It is an intellectual threat. So we are attacking what men think. We're using these divinely empowered weapons to destroy all false ways of thinking about God, all false worldviews, all false philosophies, all false ways of life and false religion. Because if we can defeat these false ideas in people's minds, then we have their bodies and we control their futures. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Paul says, this way we are fighting all the time is a war of ideas. We are changing people's minds. We are not just trying to make them look bad. We want to change their minds So when we argue with someone that they are believing or teaching the wrong things, it's not just to beat him into the ground. That's not our goal, my friends. The goal is when we converse with someone, let's say, who believes in abortion. We want to change their mind. And we want to bring every weapon from our arsenal to shoot down the ways they are thinking that are not in accord with Scripture. Can you do that? When your son or daughter comes home from high school or from college, and he or she has an idea that's not, that is out of accord with the Word of God, can you refute that idea? Can you show him or her why that idea is wrong and why it is destructive? The only weapon you have. And the only weapon you need is divinely powered ones. In fact, in Ephesians 6, a section which we did not read, you have a full, you have the full army of a Christian. You have a helmet of salvation, a shield of faith, a breastplate of righteousness, a belt of truth, all of those types of things. But you notice there are only two weapons. He has the sword of the spirit, which is, of course, the word of God. And the second thing he has is prayer. And those are the only two divinely empowered weapons that we need to bring down the fortresses that have been raised up against Almighty God in an attempt to destroy his authority in this life. Almighty God, in an attempt to destroy his authority in this life. The word of God in prayer. God told Ezekiel, you see that valley of dried bones? Those bones have been dead for so long that they are scorched white in the sun. I want you to raise those bones from the dead. I want you to make an army out of those dry bones. So what did Ezekiel say? You're you're kidding me, aren't you? you? You want me to raise these dead people into a great fighting force? And God, of course, said, that is exactly what I want you to do. And Ezekiel then said, yes, sir. So Ezekiel does two things and only two things. Now get this. He talked to God about the bones. And he talked to the bones about God. And the bones were raised from the dead. Now that's what you call a divinely empowered weapon. When you can talk to the creator of the universe and then you enforce and declare his word, that changes things. You don't have any strength in and of yourself. It is only divinely empowered weapons that you have and that you need. And that's why it's so discouraging to me when pro-life groups and those against homosexual marriage say, Well, you know, we're not talking to Christians, so we really don't need to bring the Bible into this because they don't believe the Bible. Well, when you lay aside the Bible, you've laid aside one of your divinely empowered weapons. And they will not believe the Bible, of course, unless God opens their hearts, just like he did for you but they've got to hear that word from you. So the only weapons you have in this bloody battle to bring down fortresses and to refute all of those who are trying to build a culture and a world in opposition to the word of God, the only weapons you need is a good, solid understanding of the word of God so that you can bring it to bear upon false doctrine. And you need earnest, sincere, And fervent prayer that God will bless your efforts because you don't have the strength in and of yourself. Did you notice something else about this warfare in 2 Corinthians? It's not a defensive war. You are not on the defense or you should not be. It is an offensive war. See what he says, verse 4. For the weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Now this is 2,000 years ago. But notice the confidence. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are already in the process of taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I mean you see Paul's hope. Here he is facing an armor army far bigger than his own. And he says we are whipping all of them. Look back at the Roman Empire sometime. That is whom Paul was battling against. Look at the ruins in Rome. Rome. Very, very impressive. And I'm sure you can use your imaginations and just think what these buildings look like when they were in their prime. But guess what? They are now ruins. And the church that the Roman Empire tried to destroy is still going strong. Ephesus was a wonder of the world. You talk about Paul fighting against superstitions and false doctrines. Ephesus was a city of superstition. In Ephesus, one of the seven wonders of the world, which was the temple of Diana or Artemis, was amazing. There are all kinds of shiny black marble pillars, 60 feet tall. There was nothing like it in the ancient world. Now, today, when you stand looking over a hill into the valley where the temple of Diane stood, it is a swamp. And the temple has what is left of it largely sunk into that swamp. And there is only one half of a pillar still standing there. Yet the church in the world still continues to grow. Not only that. But one of the greatest churches in the world in all of history is called Heia Sophia, the Church of Holy Wisdom. And it was built during the time of Constantine. Now, unfortunately, today it is a Muslim museum. But those ancient Christians were great visionaries. They were on the offensive. You go into this ancient sanctuary of holy wisdom, and there holding up the roof are the 60 black marble pillars from the temple of Diana. Talk about capturing the other team's mascot. You talk about taking dominion. And they did that on purpose. So that every time they went into that sanctuary in those old days, they would remember victory is ours. Satan is doomed. We are in a bloody battle. But we are winning. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And now we are ready to punish all disobedience in the church when our obedience is complete. As soon as we are all mature, and we see who is being obedient and who is compromising, we are going to bring the discipline of the church upon those people who disobey, and those people who have been cowards, those people who have negotiated with the other side, those people who have refused to fight in the cultural wars, we will excommunicate from the church. And Paul's serious about this. So understand when we talk about this Christian warfare, we are talking about a warfare that we're involved in using the divinely empowered weapons of prayer and the word of God to shoot down and refute the false views and false doctrines and false worldviews out there in the world that now dominate things from an attitude and perspective of our victory. The victory has already been won. Beloved, we're just in here mopping up for God. Where are we today in the church? The church today believes in defeat. Defeat. That there is no such thing as victory for the kingdom of God or for the church in history. In time, they say, before the second coming. Everyone knows, they say, that the world is getting worse and worse. And you've just got to save a few people from hell before Jesus comes and burns everything up. Because don't try to change things. Nothing is going to change. You're just... Wasting your time. If you go into battle convinced you're going to lose, you are going to lose. We must have the attitude that victory is ours.
0: 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607.